The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And thank you, uh, Lord, in this Lenten time that we are, as we go through Galatians, that we are reminded uh, of your work uh, given freely on on our behalf. Pray, God, that you would uh, give us hearts to uh, stand under your word, uh, even as we understand it. We ask, Father, that that you would bless us and you would keep us and your face would shine upon us. And this morning, Lord, that you would be glorified uh, by your teaching. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How about that breakfast? I mean, seriously, that was that was an, uh, just an awesome, awesome breakfast. Um, British, British, yeah, beans and uh, potatoes and bangers and mash. All right. I don't think it was actually bangers and mash, right? I don't think that. Mash, that's mashed potato, yeah. Fish and chips. I don't know. I've, I've never been to England, so. Um, if you're going to England and you need a chaplain, you just let me know. Um, all right. So we are in uh, Galatians, which I like to do during Lent. I think it's, a, it's because he's he um, Paul takes off the gloves, which is sort of Lenten, at least in my mind. So last week, we, if you were with us, we saw that uh, Paul is is defending. Uh, his apostolic authority and his apostolic message because he planted these churches. He loved on them. He told them about uh, Jesus. Can you imagine going in to a, a, a culture that has no concept at all, not only of a singular God, but a singular God who would dirty himself uh, with uh, human flesh? That, that in itself was completely foreign. Uh, the fact that this God would not only... Um, not just take everything for himself, but would come as a, as a servant. A servant even unto death, which, I mean, just the idea of God dying. But not that he would die in, in loss, but he would die as, a, as an atoning sacrifice, satisfying his own judgment. I mean, you just think that if anybody in that culture believed it, it was only an act of the Holy Spirit. And yet, people have come in after... Uh, after Paul, really soon after Paul left, uh, heretics in the, in, the, in the sort of technical sense, were pro- heretics. They were, I mean, they were well-meaning. They weren't. They weren't out to get uh, the, the church necessarily. But they, they were saying, well, Paul means well, uh, perhaps, but he's wrong. He's not actually an apostle. He's a, he is opposing uh, what the what the uh, founding fathers of the faith, the the original apostles, the ones who were with Jesus. He's opposing what they're teaching. He's, and and the, worse than that, he's. He is um, compromising the law of God, the very things that makes us Jewish. If we're following the Jewish Messiah, we need to do the Jewish law. It's a compelling argument, and it really thrown the, the uh, church of Galatia into disarray, not because their morality was askew. That's important. It was because their theology uh, was askew. If you want askew morality, go to Corinthians. <laughs> um, but uh, askew theology. And, and, and Paul is uh, upset. Uh, he is not... It, it, let's be really clear. He's not upset because his teaching is being challenged. He's, he is upset because the very freedom of uh, the Galatians, which the Gospel offers, is being taken away. And they are buying it. So Paul has said uh, that he has declared himself as an apostle. Um, that 
Or, I mean, he is declaring that God made him an apostle. Is what, excuse me, is what I need to say about that. Um, and that he did not make up his gospel. That he, he received it from God himself uh, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. God set him apart before he was born. And three years after the Damascus Road, he went up to Jerusalem for a couple of weeks. He met with Peter, but he did not learn this from Peter and then depart from it, as, as it seems that the, the um, detractors were saying. But he learned it from Peter. Uh, I mean, he... I, I'm sorry. He did not learn it from Peter. But he met with Peter and came to see that what he had received from Christ and what Peter had received from Christ matched. Right? That's, that's what it was. So in chapter 2, Paul is concluding the defense of his, um, uh, of his apostolic authority. Uh, and, he's, and then he's moving into a theological section. The theological core, really. Now, it's important. I mean, this is a, a, a book that has been at the heart of reform within the church. Uh, this is a, a, a theological uh, treatise, uh, this epistle, that, has, that was at the heart of the Protestant Reformation, uh, that has been at the heart of many reform movements, because it, it does speak so clearly about what, it, what actually is the gospel message. So, let's read through uh, the first few verses, first um, ten verses. So Paul has, has been saying that, um, that remember, he was, he was really unknown. I mean, it wasn't, um, it was, they were just hearing that God had, um, uh, was using the one who used to persecute them. And they were glorifying God uh, because of Paul, Paul says. And so he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation is set before them though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running, or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may bring us again into slavery... To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. From those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. But to those who I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Okay, so again, Paul is making the case that this is not something that he uh, has just made up on his own. He got it from Christ. This is not something that is departing even from what the apostles uh, are teaching. So we can see, he says, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, dear Barnabas. He is the, um, this wonderful um, patron 
He is, he is, he is the one who, who encourage, he, he's an encourager. And son of, I think Barnabas means son of encouragement. But, it, but that's, that's why he was called that. I think his name, name was, if I remember, Jesus. Right? Jesus Barnabas? And I think that's right. It's not Jesus, but that was just, that was just his name. Um, but they called him son of encouragement because he was constantly encouraging people. He was a patron. He was, he was the one who picked up Paul and said, you've got some serious gifts and you need to share them with the church. I mean, we, would, we may not be here if it weren't for Barnabas. Uh, he, was, he was an incredible, incredibly important. We never hear any teaching that Barnabas did. He was important. But he, what we hear is that he was an incredible encouragement. And in fact, when, when Paul and Barnabas split, it's because he, Barnabas has been an encourager to John Mark, who Paul said, listen, I'm not having to do with that kid. <laughs> All he did later was write a gospel, but you know, n- n- nevertheless. Um, Paul, why did he write a gospel? Because Barnabas encouraged him. I mean, he was with Peter, but Barnabas was with him. So, um, so he goes up with, with Barnabas, taking Titus. That's important. I went up because of a revelation. Now, if you have a Bible, you can flip back over to Acts chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, it's possible you're an Episcopalian. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so it says now, this is verse 27, Now in these days... Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's where they were in Antioch, which is a little, um, is down because it's uh, elevation down, but it's actually northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, they went to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This did take place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So there it is, right there. There's a revelation from a, a, a man named Agabus. The Spirit worked through him. There was going to be a great famine. They said, you know what we need to do is we need to take some monetary relief to the brothers in, Ju- in Judea, in Jerusalem, so that they would, um, so that they will, uh, they're, I mean, they're getting hammered uh, by, the, by the Jewish um, authorities there. And we need to love on them a little bit. And so while he was there, uh, he met with those, Paul met with those who were uh, influential. Again, he's not saying he's, he's celebrity-minded. He's just going because he wanted uh, to make sure that he wasn't running off. That his message, this is 14 years after the Damascus Road, maybe 17 if you, the, the, he said after three years I went up to Jerusalem before. Then after 14 years, we think it's probably 14 years total, but it could have been 17 years. doesn't matter really. And so we went in, and I just wanted to make sure that I, what I was saying was, was in step with the truth that they had received. Because, I mean, Paul recognizes he wasn't one of the twelve. He wasn't walking around with Jesus. They were almost surely contemporaries, but he, he was um, wanting to make sure that what he had uh, to say. And uh, he, they said that they gave the right hand of fellowship. Now... It's very important that he took Titus. Why? Why is that? Why is it important that they took Titus? Because he was Greek and uncircumcised. Titus was essentially a test case. Now this, of course, is the same Titus uh, that we have an epistle named after Titus because Titus was sent to uh, Crete, I believe. 
uh, to plant a church there, to watch over the church there. And Paul wrote him a letter. The letter's called Titus. Um, and it's just a little short letter, and it is filled with wonderful wisdom, and I commend it to you. But he was the test case, right? If, if, are, the, are they going to see all these influential leaders, uh, James and Peter and John, are they going to say, well, yes, but you've got to be circumcised? And they said, no. We recognize that God has called you to the uncircumcised, that is, to the Gentiles, just as Peter has been called to the circumcised, which is the Jews. Now, why, if the Jews had the law, why would they need the message? Why would they need it? Why would the circumcised need, why would those who were Jewish need that? Does anybody need this, um, who hadn't signed in? Anybody, the tables over here that hadn't signed in? Everybody signed in? Okay, good, thank you. Um, why would they? Why would the? Why would the Jews need this mess? Why would Peter need to go to the circumcised? To proclaim the the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Because because they knew that the law was not going to save them, right? And and yet they said, we recognize that um, that you are Saul, Barnabas. You are called to the Gentiles. That God is doing this wonderful work that the promise to Abraham that through him all nations of the earth would be blessed, that that is coming true in the person of Jesus Christ. You remember that um, Peter actually saw this. Peter saw when he went to Joppa, and he um, and this is Acts, I think, chapter 9, and, or maybe 10, and, they, uh, and he is taken to a, um, a, the home of a tanner. So he dealt with leather, which is, of course... Um, dead animals. And, and God, the Spirit pours itself out. That was not, he would not have been clean. He would not have been permitted to go in there by Jewish law. But clearly the, the Spirit is pouring Himself out uh, on, on these Gentiles. Peter had seen it for himself. And so, uh, and so they were saying, this is so wonderful. Uh, the only thing, Paul, just remember that, you know, to take care of the poor. And that's not a requirement. That's a, that's a description of the fruit. Well, why did why did Paul come to Jerusalem in the first place? To take care of the poor, right? I mean, he said this is, this is a very natural outworking of, of our ministry. It should be a very natural outworking of our ministry uh, here at Church of Our Savior, and it is. So the apostolic leaders passed the test case. They passed Titus. They did not require circumcision. They did not require that he receive the covenant of God's people uh, because Titus had been baptized. It was the new sacrament, right? So they gave us the right hand of fellowship. But then you can imagine, the, again, these detractors, these Pauline, the detractors of Paul saying, but he even, he even called Peter out. He totally opposed him right to his face. So Paul addresses it. Verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is, is Peter, And Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, not denying that he did, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back, separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. That when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, before them all, 
If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So again, you can hear these undermining whispers. He opposes Peter. But Paul addresses the attack by explaining what happened. Peter's conduct was not in step with the truth of the Gospel. There are very clear um, implications for the truth of the Gospel. They do, those, the way you live those out do not save you. right? That, that is not what God is looking for to see. Do, did you live this out? I mean, it is important. He wants you to. We're set aside for good works. But we're not saved by our good works. We're not brought into fellowship with God by our good works, but only by His grace. Which is, for, this, for Paul, this is a primary, this is not secondary. This is a primary issue of salvation. So listen, what, is going, what in the world is going on with Peter? Because it's not like Peter changed his theology. Almost certainly. So, just a little story. Um, when I was when I was in Birmingham, uh, I and, and it still is really. I love to, as part of my ministry, it's important to to go out to lunch with, with guys. And that was I was really particularly in charge of men's ministry, and so that's when they could meet. So I went out to lunch with guys a lot, and I I just I knew that um, that it was good for me to have a salad, like for lunch. That was a good thing. I needed. It was going to help me monitor my, my weight. It's going to keep me healthy. But I mean, I didn't. I, I'm, am I going to look like a like a man's man if I if I get, I mean, I'm trying to get, get a salad with these guys? I I I can't tell you how many times I ate uh, way too many burgers and fries because I because I was afraid of like, what these guys would think of me. Right? I mean, that's it's kind of stupid. But I I mean, I don't really care anymore. Um, but. I, you said yes. No, I really pretty much eat a salad all the time uh, at lunch now. But I, I, I sort of caved because I was, I was afraid of, of what, what these guys would think of me. Um, I never do that anymore. But um, uh, thank you for laughing. Um, but, you know, from, from the mundane to the serious, we've all been in situations like this, right? All been in situations like, oh, I'm not really sure if I, the way I want to do this is going to, you know, like, for instance, you know, you, you've given up sweets and you go out to some nice dinner with somebody at their house or whatever and they serve you this beautiful chocolate cake. Are you going to eat? Are you, are you going to say, no, thanks? Or are you going to, are you going to eat it? And you're like, I'm not really sure. I mean, that's, that's obviously a very mundane, very sort of uh, banal example. And, and I'm not even going to say which one's right or wrong. Uh, in that case, uh, but but we are uh, we have all times of things. I, I I can remember when I was in high school, and I was really early on, you know, sort of getting in, um, serious about my faith. But I was also getting serious with this with this girl, and and um, and and I can remember sort of making a joke about Christians to kind of just test the waters to see what she might think about. You know, I was I mean, silly, like I just, I. It was silly, but I was afraid of what she might think. More afraid of what she might think than what, my, what God might think. Um, and, and so I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you, at least to you, felt like a rock between a rock and a hard place, right? Um, a situation where you felt the need maybe to downplay your faith so that someone wouldn't be offended, because after all, you can rationalize if they, if they get offended, then we won't be able to talk to them or, or demonstrate our faith to them later, 
is it better to water it down or not? I don't know. I, I, I'm not here to say because I'm not. You know, the situations are, are so many. Um, what I, what I am saying is that your actions, our actions, should be uh, congruent with our faith. Our, our the way that we live demonstrates what we believe, and in fact, it demonstrates what we really believe. When I am more uh, seeking to honor or um, adhere to some guy. Uh, because I'm afraid he wants to, you know, you'll think I'm a, less of a man. I've eaten a salad, um, especially when he's overweight. Um, the um, just saying. I mean, so it's unlikely. Peter didn't change his belief. He could have still said, "And we're saved by grace through faith, and not by our works." He could have pointed to the time on the beach where Jesus said, "Do." Peter, do you love me? Three times to, as a reaction to the three times Peter had denied him that he had restored him according to his grace. And yet Peter still feared the circumcision party. And, and why is that? Because you can imagine that people come from James, from Jerusalem, and they're just getting, I mean the Christians in Jerusalem, they're just getting hammered. Right? Why are they getting hammered? Because they're in cahoots with the people who are hanging out with the Gentiles. Peter, can you cut us some slack, man? I mean, just, we're coming here, we're, we're trying to, but just just pull, while we're here, I mean, just don't, give us a reason to, to go back and say, no, they're not. I mean, just, just, and so Peter pulls back. And in fact, they all pull back, except for Paul, who's having none of it. And it's not, this is, Paul's not addressing racism. Like that's a, he's not saying that, that yes, they are the covenant people. He's not saying that. He's saying that if you add circumcision or any requirement of the law, to what Jesus has done, then you denigrate what Jesus has done. And, uh, and it, is, it takes incredible discipline in our lives it, to not add anything to Jesus. Right? To not come to, to do a Lenten discipline and say, wow, God is sure proud of me because I gave up you know, chocolate chips or whatever. I mean, like, uh, uh, or, or to come to church. Give up. I mean, you guys got up. I mean, got in the car at seven thirty this morning. Some of you and, and came to church, and, and and gave it. You could have been working on your your short game, or you could have been watching uh, Meet the Press, or or you know you could have been doing other things. And and it's, why do we do that to to impress God? No, of course not. I mean, it's, but you can you know it's easy for the heart to get back into that, or to say, well, I did it, and that person didn't do it. I mean, kind of looking down and judging uh, the other other people. <laughs> What constitutes salvation? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? So for, for why, did, why did Paul call out Peter? Because he doesn't like Peter? No, because he loves Peter. But what he loves more is, is the truth of the gospel that saved all of us. So the issue is, constitutes salvation. Any, any comments or questions or thoughts, responses on that before we look at a very important passage as, as, as Paul moves to the co- theological core. Yes? Was, was Peter one of the ones they referred to as super apostles? Was he a super apostle? Yeah, the, the people that were challenging Paul and, mm-hmm. and his call. I mean, I think that rightly so they would have given Peter uh, a really important place of authority, but they may have called... I, I, I don't have an answer for that. I, I probably need to go back. It's probably an axe. I need to go back and do my homework on that. I'm not exactly sure. I, w- I would think so. He would get 
he would be qualified for something because like this. Isn't there some mention later on that when Paul gained respect back, that the one that had wronged the church was supposedly reprimanded? Would that? I'm wondering if that was Peter or not. Well, it may be. I'd have to. I'd have to go in and take a look. I, I don't know. I don't have a great answer for you right there. Um, any other response? Yes, Sally. Are Jews saved by the law? Moving on. Um, the, uh, the question was, are Jews saved by the law? Um, no. I mean, that's what Paul says. Now, are they a covenant people with a special relation with God? Yes. Do they need Jesus? Yes. And so, I, I mean, you're getting into, you know, is, uh, are, are, does God save people of other religions? And particularly the Jews are a different question than other religions because God made His covenant people. But the thing is, is that we are now the people of God. And, and, and Sally, I'll be honest, I don't know how that plays out. And there are some really faithful Christians that come out on different sides of that. But, um, but anybody who gets into heaven gets into heaven because Jesus made a sacrifice on their behalf, the final sacrifice. And so, um, and so they don't know. So the answer is no, and that's what Paul says very clearly. No one is saved by works of the law. In fact, he gets to that at the, at the end of this. Um, and he's speaking to... I mean, that's why Peter had to go to the circumcised, because they weren't saved by the law. Yes? Gentiles were brought in to make the Jews jealous so they would come back through the Gentile Gentile example, come back to God. Yeah, that's probably somewhere uh, Romans 9 to 11. uh, That they were brought in to, the Gentiles were brought in to make the Jews jealous and that they would come back to God. When I get jealous, I stomp off and get mad. I I don't, um, but the, um, um, I, I mean, it certainly is there. I mean, but it's, we weren't, the Gentiles weren't brought in, we weren't brought in, uh, in order to save the Jews, but in order to consummate the, the mm-hmm. covenant promise and, and to fulfill the, for the glory of God. And so, yes, and so we, I mean, our lives should stand as a witness. And of course, there's many Messianic Jews even, even to this day. Were they saved before Jesus Christ by the law? Okay, I, um, no. Paul is really clear about that as well. And it, they weren't condemned, but God overlooked their former sins. So those who were, I mean, Abraham was, um, believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was their faith, not their works. Even then, Paul, Paul says. There's a verse, isn't there, the veil will be removed from their eyes and then they'll see clearly. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I hope and pray that everyone has a chance to see Christ uh, either in this life or the next, for, for who He is and in all His truth. Uh, and I think that's true. But I, I, I don't want us to get sidetracked on whether or not the Jews are, are saved. I, and that's the answer. The, the biblical answer is that all people need Jesus. Uh, how, how Jesus manifests that in their hearts and their lives is up to Jesus. So, so this is what... what Paul, Paul continues his thought to Peter, even though uh, it looks as if uh, the conversation is over, and now he's just talking to the Gentiles. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Um, 
some translations say Gentiles and sinners. We're not Gentiles and sinners, or Gentiles or sinners. We are uh, Jews. We are people of the covenant. Yet we know that a person, and he means all persons, not uh, Jews or Gentiles, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let me ask you, what does it mean to be justified? What is justification? Justified never sinned, right? That's a good, sort of pithy way to say that. So the word in, in Greek is the same word as righteous. But we don't have a verb in English to say to righteousify. That, that righteousify, righteousification is not a word. And so the closest thing we have is justification. We are made just. We are made right before we are declared as if uh, God's judgment uh, we, we are not we don't we not we're not standing in need of God's judgment or in desert of God's judgment. Why is that? Because Jesus has already taken the, the, that punishment. He's already taken that justice upon himself on the cross. And so all you need is faith, and faith itself is a gift. I mean, if you have faith in Christ, you can say, thank you, God, that I have faith in Christ. You probably made a decision for Christ. You made a decision to follow Him and may ask Him into your life. And you might have a moment or you might have just a season of your life where that, your faith became real, and you made a decision. But as you progress in your faith, you look back and think, I, there was no alternative. It wasn't like I was standing, you know, as it is, I was wondering, should I walk down this road? But as I look back on it, there were, there were no other turns. Right? God put me on that path. And I have come to Him because He has called me. Um, now, that, is a, that might sound a little like the doctrine of predestination to you. But what that is, is a doctrine of assurance of your salvation, not a doctrine of condemnation for those who are on the path, Right? That God has, God will put them on the path at, when He sees fit according to His good plan. So keep praying, keep praying for them. I, th- I always think about when I think about that. I always think about um, Frank Limehouse's father. Frank Limehouse, of course, my mentor. I talk about him a lot. But uh, his father came to faith when he was 90 years old. And I just think of how many people died never seeing their prayers for him fulfilled. I'm praying for him to come to faith, and then they die, and they never, you know, like they just, and yet. Still, their prayers were answered because he came to faith. No, he could say, gosh, I missed so much. But he came when he came. So keep praying. So, but justification, well, we don't use the word righteous in, in our vocabulary, except when we're talking about sort of our religion, our faith. Um, but it's essentially your resume, right? I mean, you know what a resume is. You, when, you, when you are applying for a job, you submit a paper that says, here is why I'm qualified to take this job. Um, we're, we have a search process going right now for our youth minister, and we've gotten a lot of resumes, and, um, and some, which is great. Yeah, we have some to keep praying for that too, but um, some are not qualified. <laughs> Let me just say that. Um, but, but a few are, which is, which is great. Um, but I mean, when, you, when you submit your resume, you're saying, here's why I'm qualified, or you're applying to college, or you're applying to whatever it is, you're applying to your retirement home, or whatever it is, you're saying, here's what, what makes me qualified to enter this club. That is your righteousness. 
you're saying that you are uh, qualified. And so what, what your righteousness declared to you is you're qualified. And you can say, why am I qualified? Because you've met the standards of the law. <laughs> Heck no, I hadn't. Not today I hadn't. And, um, and you say, yes, but you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Why? By faith. Yes, Jim. Um, one of the interesting paradoxes to me is that we're condemned by our deeds and justified by our faith. <clears throat> it's not apples to apples, it's apples to oranges. Yeah, so when, when Paul later on in Galatians, he'll talk about the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. Not the work of the Spirit, but it's what Spirit grows in us, Right? So we're, what you said is we're condemned by our deeds. Even our good actions, uh, the Scriptures say, are filthy rags. But we're condemned by our... And why are we condemned by our good works? Because they're selfish. Because we want to be patted on the back. Our righteousness is in Christ. This is what John Stott, the great uh, Anglican divine who's now with the Lord, said in his book, The Cross of Christ. He says, The biblical gospel of atonement is of God satisfying Himself by substituting Himself for us. The concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting Himself for man. And of course, women, don't feel left out of that. You've sinned too. And God has substituted Himself for you. Humanity is what John Stott means. He is our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. He was there so that we did not have to be. Um, and, and I'll say again, to require more than what Christ has done for salvation is to empty the cross of its power and glory. The scandal of that is what gets people so upset. Aren't you just going to open Pandora's box by saying, well, I mean, you're not... You can do anything you want. I mean, you're going to be forgiven for everything. Can't you, aren't you just, won't people just run out and just do whatever they want to do? Paul says, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, if we're, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? I mean, you think about that. I mean, you can, well, absolutely not. But that's, that, you can understand the logic there. You're, you're saying God is just serving your sin. By, he's just going to forgive you. He's your get-out-of-jail-free card all the time. Paul says, no, because, and what makes that note so certain is that if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What he means is, if I've said that we're not saved by the law, but then I add other things on top of, the, of that, then I am going to transgress. I am going to find that I have set a law that I cannot live up to. Through the law, that's the law of Moses, I died to the law. It crushed me. Right? I could not live up to its standards. But I died so that I might live to God because I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave Himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That is the ultimate statement for this section. If righteousness came to the law, then what in the world did Jesus have to die for? I, I may have said it before. Uh, there was a uh, question 
on the GOEs, which is the general ordination exams for the Episcopal Church in, the, in like the late 60s or the 70s. Bishop Fitzis, Fitzsimmons Allison uh, told me, uh, t- tells this story. And he said that um, this student got a zero on his answer uh, because the question was, um, respond to the book, I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, you know, talk about, and you remember that book, uh, it came out uh, in the 60s or 70s sometime. It was pretty popular. I mean, I'm okay, you're okay. It's just affirmation, and you know, you see that. And the, guy, the reason he got a zero is because he just drew a picture of a guy looking up at another guy on the cross, stick figures, and the stick figure on the cross saying, if I'm okay and you're okay, then what the hell am I doing up here? <laughs> Zero. And Fitzsimmons Allison could not ordain him fast enough. Um, so if a person is not justified by works of the law, then what's the law for? It's a good question, right? Without the law, you don't know that you're a sinner. Okay. So it is to reflect to us, in a, or in a sense, you say it negatively, to condemn us. It's to show us, it's like the mirror, right? It shows us where our hair is out. You know? um, and so uh, the law is like a mirror. It shows us where our life is out of kilter. It also, somebody else said to... It, it, it helps us in our relationship to God and each other. So it creates order in our society. I mean, we need laws in our society. I mean, you can't just, you're not going to be able to plead to the, to the judge. Judge, I know it's going 100, but I'm justified by faith. <laughs> you know, like, like we, need, we need laws in our society to create order. So, and actually theologians call that the first order of the law is, is that it creates order in society. And the second order of the law is the condemnation that it gives, that, that mirror that it shows. Now some would say there's a third order of the law and that is uh, to show Christians the proper way to live. And that makes good sense. The problem is, at least in my mind, I think it's a little bit redundant because, um, I mean, if the heart is to glorify God and the fruit of the Spirit is going to take care of that. We don't really need a law. And yet, if, um, if the heart is to say, um, I mean, I feel like the sinful heart is always going to slip into pride and say, look how good I did, which then I stand condemned. So I think it's a little, the third use of the law is a little bit redundant, but um, I'm, I am uh, not a theologian of that uh, order. But uh, the first order of the law is to create order in society, which we need it. It's not to create salvation, it's just to create order. Uh, and then the second order of the law is to show us... Um, how we don't meet the ideal, and to thrust us towards our Savior. So faith's a work, right? Uh, faith's not a work, it's a gift. Faith is not a, a work, it's a gift. I'm basically, uh, I've run to my time. I haven't said everything I want to say, but this is a, uh, I, I encourage you to feed on this a little bit this week, to spend some time sort of soaking in this as we move towards Galatians 3. And preachers just don't preach like this anymore. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? God bless you. We'll see you in church.